You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Um, straightforward and explicit um, series of messages that I think I've ever preached on the Holy Spirit. And so I just refer you to that. Uh, you can go to our website and um, and find the uh, sermons um, from uh, June and, uh, and July um, that are, are talking about that. So um, just kind of as a groundwork. But we're really continuing to talk about that. We talked about the, um, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then we are, have just been going into how the Spirit transforms us. So for the last two weeks, and including today, Uh, I'm talking about turning points, how the Holy Spirit turns us around, turns us um, from one thing to another. We started with talking about Jesus' genealogy. Um, We talked about um, the the sovereignty of God and what was displayed in there. I gave you three three, uh, A's. So one was ability, uh, one was assurance, um, and what was the third one? You remember that? Acceptance. Acceptance. and looking at Jesus' genealogy, sometimes we kind of skip over that, but uh, it was really important to see that God sovereignly moved through really flawed people to, to bring about um, the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, we talked about baptism. We talked about uh, Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, um, and the Spirit, we ended with the Spirit descending uh, like a dove and coming to rest on him, and the heavens are open, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we see the Godhead there. We see the Father speaking. We see the Spirit descending upon the Son. Um, This week we're going to talk about um, temptation and triumph. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read uh, verses uh, 1 through 11, and then we'll come back and, and talk about it. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then it says that the angels came and were ministering. After the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to the word of God today. I know that there's an anointing on your word and a blessing on your word, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that we would have open hearts to be able to hear and be be encouraged by your word uh, today, Lord. Um, And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. So we've been looking at um, the Holy Spirit uh, this whole summer. Um, Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God, and, uh, and I've been reading a, um, a, 
a commentary on Matthew by um, Frederick uh, uh, Bruner, and um, Francis Chan's book uh, was named Forgotten God. Bruner's book is called The Holy Spirit, the Shy Member of the Trinity, and this is an indication of the way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He doesn't draw attention to himself. Mighty, powerful, powerful work that he does in our lives, but he's not drawing attention to himself. And so as we're looking at these things, it's really important to understand that Jesus Christ is what the Holy Spirit is all about. He is is letting us see Jesus Christ. He's helping us to know Jesus Christ. He's creating a hunger in our hearts um, for Jesus Christ. Um, And today we're going to talk about uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus to prepare him for ministry and to bring him to the place that um, he's prepared uh, for the ministry that's before him. Now, I remind you that the end of um, Matthew chapter 3, um, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I think this is... Um, Similar to Paul's um, Damascus Road experience. You know, a lot of people think, well, if I could just see God, I would believe. But that wouldn't, that wouldn't be belief, would it? Um, and if I could just hear him, then I would, you know, why, why, why didn't he speak to us in an audible uh, voice? Well, the reason why he doesn't is because it takes faith to approach God. And he's never going to take that away from us. Further, when he speaks, it's so easy for us to misunderstand audibly. And so he has spoken to us, but he doesn't speak to us in, in the ways that we think of, uh, of him communicating. He, he communicates in a much more um, effective way. But in this instance, the Spirit descends, the heavens open, and the audible voice of God is heard saying, um, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Um, Paul's experience on the road to uh, Damascus um, was he, was he was knocked to the ground by a blinding light And a voice from heaven spoke and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Both of these things come just before some incredible ministry. So God does things like this when he needs to do things like this in order to commission us and to prepare us for it. And what we see in Jesus is a really important lesson that we see here, and we see this often with him, is that something big happens and he withdraws He goes into solitude um, for a while. One of the mistakes that we make sometimes is that when something really big happens, we want to kind of kick back a little bit. We want to sit back and just enjoy that. Jesus didn't sit back and enjoy to enjoy it. He, um, it says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So just at, at the at the exact moment when he's at a high point, and that would be a high point for anybody, that God has audibly said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is led by the Spirit. What humility do we see in Jesus? That he's led by the Spirit. He doesn't go where he wants to go. He doesn't just do anything that occurs to him. But he's listening to the voice of God and he's being prompted by the Spirit. And where is the Spirit taking him? He's taking him into the wilderness, it says, to be tempted by the devil. There is a reason why these kind of things happen, and that's because Jesus 
is going to live a very difficult life. He has three years ahead of him of ministry. He's 30 years old, and he's got three years of ministry. Now listen, the older you get, the shorter three years is. It's amazing how quick three years goes. At this time, I believe that Jesus, at 30 years of age, has already, he's, as a man now, he has become a master of the Word. Um, he, he, when he reads the Word, he doesn't read it like most other people do, like it's a bunch of riddles to be figured out, but it's a, it's a divine revelation to him. And when he reads about the Messiah early on, and I don't know if it was Mary or Joseph that was teaching him this or, or what, or just the, the Holy Spirit revealing it to him, he recognized when he read about the Messiah that that was him. He knew that he was the Messiah. Further, he knew what the Messiah was supposed to do. Most of Israel had no idea. They knew some of the clues about what, it was gonna, what he was going to do and, and how they were going to recognize him when he came, but it was hidden from them. They didn't understand what the Messiah was supposed to be and what the Messiah was to, supposed to, uh, to do to accomplish. But I think Jesus, when he was 30 years old, before he was baptized, he already knew full well that the cross was his destiny. That that's where he was going, and the reason why he was going is for the sin of the world. John the Baptist had some insight, insight into this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus knew that the Messiah's big um, accomplishment was to conquer sin and death, and the way that he was going to do that was going to be to die. He also knew that he, had to, he was going to teach. He was going to be a rabbi. He was going to have a small group of followers that he was going to pour his life into, and that 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 was going to be the, the, the three years that he was going to spend. It's a very short period of time. And so how do you prepare yourself for this? Well, you start by denying yourself. You start by putting your heart in the right place. You start by putting your physical body under subjection to your spirit. Now, I don't know if Jesus knew when he went out into the, to the desert um, that he was going to be fasting for 40 days. It could have been that he just went out into the desert and there's nothing to eat, and so he doesn't eat. And the Holy Spirit has him there for 40 days. And so for 40 days, he doesn't eat. It's kind of remarkable that it says after 40 days and nights, he was hungry. It took Jesus a long time to get hungry. But that's not what that means. Jesus was just like us, I'm sure, that, you know, the first day of not eating, you're very aware of the fact that you haven't eaten anything. Second day of eating, that's when you start saying, I'm starving, right? But you're not really starving. You have plenty of reserves in your body to go far more than two or three or four days that that you can can sustain yourself. The limit of going without food is about 40 days. And at 40 days, when it says that he was hungry, that means that he was starving. At 40 days, your body begins to cannibalize your major organs, and your major organs begin to shut down, and you have major or- organ failure. You lose your eyesight. You can lose your hearing. Um, if you don't get n- nutrients pretty quick, something terrible is going to happen. You're, you're going to die. And that's where he was at 40 days. It wasn't just that he had hunger pains or his stomach was growling. It was that he was going to die if he didn't get some, some nutrition. And it was at this point that the devil came to him. It says, uh, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about the devil today, but it's important that we understand that we have an adversary 
uh, that he is uh, really good at what he does, that he has a plan for your life just like God has a plan for your life. So if you don't have a plan for your life, I guarantee you somebody does. And even if you do have a plan for your life, you're going to have to choose between these two because you can't remain neutral in this. You can't remain unaffiliated, okay? You have to make a choice. God's plan for your life is to redeem you, is to save you, is to give you um, power over sin and, to, and, to, and uh, a home in heaven um, to, to live with in forever. He wants to empower us to be lovers and not killers. He wants to empower us um, to, uh, to walk in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to live an overcoming life. The devil's plan for you is for you to be miserable and alone and dead. As miserable as possible, alone, he will break every relationship that you have. He wants to come between you and other people. He wants, he wants you uh, to, um, uh, to be alone, and he wants you dead. And he wants you dead as soon as possible. Make no mistake about that. If he could take your life today, he would. That's his plan for you. Now, if you look at your life and you see some vestiges of those things, then you know that that's an area that the, the Lord wants to set you free from and to redeem you. So we have an enemy. He's really good at what he does. And he's really good at temptation. Now, these temptations are tailor-made for Jesus Christ, but we're going to learn something from him that also helps us to overcome the, the tempter, okay? Now, this, these temptations, I've never had... A, a temptation to turn stones uh, into bread. Never, never even occurred to me, even when I've been really hungry, okay? But Jesus is tempted by this, and this is the first one. And why do you think this is the first temptation? Why do you think that the devil hit him here? Because he's starving. His physical body needs food, and he should have food. It's not bad to have food, and his physical body needs, needs food, needs nourishment. And he begins his temptation with this. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, how does the devil know that Jesus is the Son of God? How does he know that? Because God told everybody, right? When Jesus was baptized, God said these words, this is my beloved Son. And so he goes into the desert and uh, into the wilderness, and the first thing that the, the enemy says to him is, that little word, if, and then repeats what God said. This is what he always wants to do. He wants to sow seeds of doubt. And what does God want us to do? He wants us to believe. What did Jesus say to, to Thomas? To be, no longer be uh, unbelieving, but believe. We have it in our power to believe. We use that power to believe all the time. God wants us to use it. On him, And the devil wants to shake those foundations. He wants to do whatever he can to, make, to, to uh, cast a shadow on what God has said or, or put some doubt in our minds, either doubting ourselves or doubting him. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, command these stones. Jesus, God has plainly said this. But the if is designed to either make Jesus doubt or make him feel like he needs to prove his sonship. And those two are one in the same. Doubt and having to prove something is one in the same. He wants Jesus to prove or think that he needs to prove his sonship. 
Now, after 40 days, and I've, I've never fasted 40 days before. I've fasted extended fast before. Um, and I can tell you that it's as important how you break a fast as it is how you uh, uh, conduct yourself while you're fasting. So the way you break a fast is really important. I have made mistakes. I have done it wrong. Um, one of the fasts that I did was at the very beginning of the year. It was like in, in January of the year. And uh, do you know what happens in January? I'll never forget this. And it's just the devil. Girl Scout cookies. And so I was like halfway through an extended fast, and the Girl Scout cookies came. And I don't know about you, but like I think the best cookie on the face of the earth is a Samoa. Now, if you don't like coconut, I understand. But those, those Girl Scout cookies came, and they had the little box. It's got the picture of the Samoa on there. And it's just the devil, man. Because here's the deal. Up until that point, I had been fine. I mean, it's, it's hard, it's arduous, and it's challenging, you know, to fast and to go without food. But my heart was in the right place. And I think what Jesus was experiencing, uh, it, what is indicated here, is that you're denying yourself physical nourishment, but you are feasting on the Word of God. And that's what I was doing. I was, the Word of God was opening to me. I was experiencing the presence of the Lord like I hadn't before. And, and you know, the Girl Scout cookies come. And so it was like a little bit of a distraction, and I couldn't get it out of my head. So when I broke my fast, I broke my fast with a box of Samoas. It's not the right way to do it. That's not not what God God wants. Jesus is starving, and the devil wants him to break his fast. That sense of accomplishment, like you've really done something, and break your fast with something stupendous, something, you know, um, great and, and, uh, and a big display of power, you know? I believe Jesus is tempted, just like we are tempted. And everyone is tempted in their own way. The devil is very good at tempting us with things that specifically apply to us. And you look at other people's lives and you're just like, why are you tempted by that? Listen, you can't understand it, but you can understand that you have your own temptations. And this is one where the devil looks at Jesus and he says, if he's human, if he's really human, this has got to be something that is going to work. He's starving to death, and I'm going to tempt him with something of of taking care of his flesh. And Jesus answers him by saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, a couple of things about that. This is a perfect answer. And I believe that Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness, and he is, is feasting on the word of God. He is feasting on the will of God and the, and, and the promises of God and the, and, and the instruction of the word of God. I mean, he's, he's got it down, and, and he's, he's, he's experiencing all of these things as he's, um, as he's being physically um, depleted. I had a vision one time of Jesus in the wilderness. I don't know if this is what it actually looked like, but he was the same color as the desert after 40 days. His clothes were the same color, his, and, and, he, and from the outside, he looks ragged and, 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 uh, and, uh, and skinny and, you know, like he's really been through the ringer. But if you look in his face, if you look in his eyes, you see power. You see something that has been established in his life that has prepared him. 
he's like an athlete going to training camp. He's going to the desert and to solitude and to self-deprivation in order to prepare himself for the rigorous journey that's ahead of him. And I believe after 40 days, he was accomplished with that. The devil looks on the outside and says, see, he can't, he's not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, he doesn't know everything, he can't do everything, he's not God. He's limited in what he understands. He heard God say, you know, um, behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and, and the devil's like, I don't even know what that means, but this guy is like the son of God, a favored one of God. He did not know about the cross, or he would, he would never have put Jesus to death on the cross. He doesn't know everything. He can't see everything. He's very limited, and he's looking at the outside and trying to tempt Jesus, and it's foolishness because Jesus is not being tempted by bread. He is feasting on the word of God. Another thing that's really important here, is the way that Jesus is handling these temptations is fully accessible to every one of us. Jesus is not using his mighty power as the Son of God, as the Lamb of God, as the, um, uh, as the Prince of Peace, um, as the ruler on the throne of heaven. He's just like a man, and he's, and he's handling temptation just the way that men handle temptation. You have access to this. You have access to this. When you're tempted, God does not tempt you or or bring you into temptation for you to fall or for you to fail. He brings you into temptation to prove what is within you. And a lot of times we get real puffed up and we think we've got a lot. And God says, you don't have that, but you do have this. When he goes in and starts the refining process, he knows that there's gold in there. It's not as much as you think, but it is there. It is real. Jesus Christ living in your heart, the Holy Spirit active in your life, he is putting treasure in you. He is bringing forth treasure in you. Sometimes he's got to shake it so you know what's the real treasure and what's not. And Jesus going through these temptations is the same kind of thing for us to go through these these temptations. Temptation is to use his miraculous power for his own purposes. Even though the need is legitimate, To use the privilege instead of suffering like a human being is not the will of God. A lot of times when we go through difficult things, we just want it to be over. And that's like me thinking about the Samoas. Another mistake I made one time is I started thinking about a Cheeto. Not a whole bag of Cheetos, just a Cheeto. When you're really hungry, you think about how supercharged that little nugget is of food, fat, cheese, oil, you know, um, salt. It's got everything, right? And sometimes when we're going through difficult things, we get our minds on getting out of it, having it be over. And we're ready to get it over with as soon as possible. Instead of delighting ourselves in what we have, we fixate on what we don't have. And what happens when we get out of it is like we're like, You know, that was a close one. I'm never doing that again. Instead of saying, God has brought me through this. I want to learn a lesson. I want want my life to be changed. And I'm talking about like, you know, like financially. 
You go through difficult times financially, and then you come out of those difficult times. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to live like you were before you went in? Or are you going to be able to say, I have learned to live with less? I don't need all of the things that I thought that I needed before. You know what a rebound relationship is like? And you know how dangerous rebound relationships are? And do you know why that is? Is because you get out of one relationship and you turn straight around and go right back into another one before you have learned the lessons that you should have learned before. You're thinking when you're go, going through it, I just want this to be over and I want to get, you know, get back in. And no, what you need is to learn to delight yourself in what you have instead of looking for it in something else or someone else or, 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 or another uh, escape. Because what happens is, is that you bring your baggage right into that. And the problem is not your circumstances. The problem is your heart. And God wants to get down to the heart. And he wants to change us from the inside. If all we want is relief, then we're set up to fail. And Jesus answered him, and, it, and this is the simplest thing to say. It's not, he doesn't have to go off on him. He doesn't have to preach a sermon. All he has to say is, it's already been written down. <clears throat> you can take it to the bank. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil's not done. He hit him in his weak point first, <clears throat> and now the gall of the devil is just unbelievable. It's just mind-boggling. Because now he's going to try to trade scriptures with Jesus. So he hit him in his weak point, and now he's going to hit him in his strong point. And make no mistake about it, you can have strengths in your life, and that is not going to be off, off base for the devil. He'll hit you where you're strong, and he'll hit you where you're weak. He'll hit you where you're vulnerable. That's where he'll, he'll hit you. And so he's thinking, I have a scripture, and I can use this as leverage against Jesus. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they shall bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now what's this temptation that the devil's tempting him with? And does he tempt us with similar things? I believe that he does. Not necessarily bringing us to, you know, the, the top of the people's bank building and telling us to jump off, although I have known some people that have been tempted that way. I have known some people that have been tempted to, to do something deadly to put God to the test, to say, if you really believe this, you know, you don't really believe it unless you actually put, them, put him to the test. Because <clears throat> he wants us I told you what his plan for your life is. He wants you dead, and he'll do anything he can. But the temptation here is to think, God has to bail me out. God has to come through for me. I can do something foolish. I can do something pointless. I can do something that, that uh, I shouldn't do, and, but God has to bail me out. And that's not what that scripture means. I believe that if I'm walking in the will of God, that God is protecting me and he's bringing me where he wants me to go. And I, I believe that I can go through some really deadly and dangerous circumstances to do that, but I am not 
going to jump off a building expecting God's got to do something to save my life. Because I don't believe God responds to being tempted and being tested that way. It doesn't work that way. He wants us to walk in faith. He doesn't want us to be foolish. He wants us to walk in. He will bring us through some of the, some of the ter- most terrible things you can face. And I've been through some of the most terrible things that a person can face. But I don't willingly put myself in a position like that expecting God to bail me out. I expect him to come through for me. I expect, he expects me to walk in his ways and to be led by the Spirit. He took him to the pinnacle of the temple. This is a public place. If this thing had happened, then Jesus would have been publicly displayed as being the Son of God. That's not the way that God works. He's using the Word of God against him. But see, what Jesus' answer, what it, what it shows us here. Jesus said to him, again, it is written. So he's not saying that scripture's wrong, obviously. He's not saying that scripture's not true. He's saying that scripture doesn't stand alone. That scripture is one scripture, but there's also another scripture which actually trumps that. This one has to do with God taking care of you. This one has to do with the way that you relate to God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We had an outreach to the um, Juvenile Attention Center um, years back, and uh, there was uh, one kid uh, in there that had just been, he'd been in there most of the time that we'd, we'd been there, and we didn't see a whole lot of conversions. We didn't see a whole lot of um, people coming to the Lord, and this one time we had like a little worship service, and I taught just a really simple lesson, and this kid comes up and he says, I want, I want Jesus, I want to be saved. I was just blown away by it. I thought it was, you know, a miracle. That it, that it would happen. And so I prayed for him. I actually gave him my Bible. Um, and, you know, and I was just on cloud nine for the, for the next two weeks until the next time we came back. And when we came back, I saw him and I was like, so how's it going? You know, how's, you know, how's your, how are you doing? You know, what's going on with you? Uh, and he was just like, nothing, you know, like, I, and I'm like, you gave your heart to the Lord. And he said, I, I don't believe that anymore. He said, um, that night, uh, he was laying in his bed, and there was a glass of water sitting on the desk next to him, and he said, God, if you're real, knock that glass of water off the, off the desk. And he said he didn't knock it off the desk. That's putting God to the test. And if you've ever done that, you know that God is not really going to jump through hoops for you. <laughs> that didn't prove anything, except for the fact that the guy didn't want to have faith and believe and listen, I understand, we get off track so many different ways. The guy needs instruction, he needs discipleship, right? He needs to be taught what it means to be a believer and how God relates to people. I believe God took him at his word. That wasn't the final end of the thing. After he got out of uh, jail, he didn't come back. That was a good sign, but I'd lost track of him. I don't know what happened, but I know that God took him at his word. God took him seriously when he gave his heart to the Lord. Having said that, God does not have to jump through hoops for him or anybody else. What would happen if God had actually knocked the water off of it? Wouldn't that have set that guy up for a really, you know, big fall later? That God's always got to come through and God's always got to do stuff? God's going to say, look, man, I'm God, you're not. You know, I give the orders, you don't. 
right? That's the simple ABCs of being a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to have a foolish sense of entitlement and self-importance. To think I'm too important to let God, uh, for God to let me fail or fall. God has assured us that he will protect us, but don't take that lightly. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then the third temptation says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The devil took him to a very high mountain. I want you to notice that the devil keeps taking him higher and higher and higher. And the spirit is leading him lower and lower and lower. Jesus' whole arc was to come from heaven and, and not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be presumed upon, that he came to earth. I asked you this question last week. I'm still thinking about this. If there was a God and he, came, and he, and he made uh, the earth and he made people and then he decided, I'm going to go down there and see what it's like to be one of them. I'm going to live. Like, where would he draw the line? Where would he say, that's enough, okay? I'm going to opt out of you know, the death part, or I'm going to opt out of the discomfort part. Where would, he, where would he draw the line and say, you know, I just don't really need this, and I'm out, right? Jesus' whole arc was to leave heaven and come to earth and not even come to really like equality, but the lowest form of human, the, the lowest form of person to identify with us because he didn't come just to experience it. He came so that we might be able to experience him. And in order for us to experience him, sin had to be dealt with. The devil's taken him to a really high mountain, so high that he can see all of the kingdoms of the earth, and it says, and their glory. And he said, if you will bow down and worship me, all of this can be yours. It's been given to me, how does he say in another place? He says, it's been given, uh, it's been given to me and I will give it to you. Um, if you will fall, uh, uh, fall down and worship me. Now, number one, the devil's a liar, so I don't even know if he could do this. I do know that he's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the lord of this world. I do know that mankind in his natural state is under the dominion of the devil. I do know that. I know that we are, we are subject um, to him, and, we, and, and uh, Jesus said, you know, your father, the devil, when he was talking to the, to the Pharisees. So he does have some authority in this world. Is he really offering a truce? Is he really offering um, a, a bloodless coup? Is he, really, is he really saying, the authority that I have, I will give to you. And then you will be the big celebrity. You will, be the, you will have the position that I have uh, in this earth. Now, it's possible, but I don't believe, that, I don't believe anything he says. I don't know why Jesus, like when he first showed up, didn't just say, be gone, Satan, I don't even want to talk to you. But there was a reason, right? He's doing this as, a, uh, as submitting to the Spirit, submitting to the will of God. He's submitting himself to, to what God has said he's going to bring him through, but he's also doing it as an example to us because he wants us to know that temptation can be resisted. You can triumph 
over temptation. And this last one was the one where the devil comes and says, you know, all of that that you're thinking about the cross and, and suffering and, um, you know, and, and the hardships, you can, you can shortcut all of that. And I know he tempts us with that. I know he tempts me with that. Just take a shortcut. Take the easy way. And listen, the easy way is all, you always pay for it. You always pay for it. What is he tempting him to do? I mean, this is the big commandment. Worship God alone. That's the big commandment. You don't have to know a whole lot about God to know that he takes it really seriously when people worship false gods. And yet we do it all the time. People do it all the time. They have, they see, you know, the big God, they believe in the big God, but they also believe that they have to serve these other smaller gods. And listen, an idol is always a small God. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He can't do everything. He can just help you with this one aspect of your life. And that's what Israel was constantly going after, these small gods. And God brought them up short, and he said, hey, who ever heard of this? I mean, didn't I bring you out of Egypt? Didn't I part the Red Sea? Who ever heard of people turning their back on a god like me to worship a little false god made out of wood that doesn't even have any breath? Who ever heard of that? You know why? Because we want a little God. We don't want a big God. We want a little God that we can put on our shelf and he can do what we want him to do and then we can go about our business and live our own lives any old way we want to. I know there's people that worship Satan. I can't even imagine what that must be like because what are you going to worship him for? You know, like what are you going to say to Satan? You know, what is there to worship what is there about him that is worthy of any glory or any honor or any praise when you know the God that made the universe? The devil can't make anything. He can only pervert stuff. He can only twist stuff. He can only mess stuff up. What are you going to worship him for? Why would you want a little God? Why would you want anything less than the God of heaven, the Lord of all creation? I mean, the devil is just like lobbing softballs for Jesus here, you know? It's not like, you know, except for Jesus knows what's before him, and he loves the world so much. And when the devil shows him the world and says, let's just call a truce, I'll just give you this if you'll just worship me. Jesus loves the world, and he wants nothing more than to be glorified in the world but there's only one way to do it and that's God's way that's the father's way and when he got to Gethsemane he said if there's any other way let this cup pass and I guarantee you as much as God loves Jesus Christ and loves us if there was any other way he would have done it another way there is no other way there is only blood there is only suffering there is only humiliation there is only death in order to bear the sin of the world. And Jesus had the choice right here at the beginning of his ministry, at the very first rattle out of the barrel, he had a choice to short circuit all of that, to, to, to avoid all of that. And you know why he didn't do it? Because he loved God and he loved you. And that's the law and the prophets right there.
He wants the world, but he doesn't want it that way. He wants to, to be the center of the world's attention and focus, but he doesn't want it that way, and he won't, he won't do it that way. It's like, uh, this reminds me of um, when Mr. Potter has uh, George Bailey in, you know, and he's like, George, you've won. And, uh, and, and George Bailey's like, well, what, are you, what are you saying? And Mr. Mr. Potter says, I want to hire you. And then he makes him these grandiose offers. You can go to New York. You're going to be earning. How much does he tell him he's going to earn? He's like $2,500, you know, a year, a month or something like that. Some, you know, at the time, I'm sure that sounded like a small fortune, you know. But then, like, you can travel to New York. You know, you're going to have, you have the best of everything. You know, all you have to do is come to work for me. And George Bailey's sitting there with this big cigar in his mouth. He, he looks so out of place with a cigar. What? That's not George Bailey. What is he doing? And he, he uh, lights his tire, uh, tie on, on fire and, and all of this. And, and, and Mr. Potter says, you know, he says, I, I need to talk to my wife. And Mr. Potter's like, sure, sure. Go, go and talk to your wife, you know. And he stands up and he shakes hands with him. And he looks at his hand. It's almost like the slime came off on him. He said, he said to, to, um, uh, to Mr. Potter, he's like, why are you even interested in the, the building and loan? He said, the only reason why you're interested in it is because it's the one thing in this town that you can't get your grubby little hands on. Why is the devil so interested in your life? It's because he can't get his grubby little hands on you, and it galls him. And he will tempt you with that. He will tempt you with saying, if you'll just do this, everything will be okay. You'll find yourself saying, I know that this is probably not right, but I need to do it. I'm just going to do it, you know, now. Do whatever it takes to get what you need. And it's wrong. And the, the bottom line is, this is a simple commandment. It's the first commandment. Anybody that knows anything about God knows that he takes worship seriously. And the devil does too. And he wants your worship, and he wants your, your service, and he wants you to, to give him his due. He just wants you to open it up a little bit. One of the translations says, um, all these things I will give you if you will just fall down and worship me. And that just is the thing that stands out to me. Because it just seems so small and trivial, and that you're going to get these big things if you'll just do this. He always minimizes the importance of what he's trying to get you to do until you do it, and then he uses it as leverage against you. He says, it's not that big a deal. You can do this, and it's a little compromise, but you watch. As soon as you do, he's, that's why he's called the accuser. He's accuser for a reason. is because he will never let you forget it. He will never let it drop. Just do this. Just sign this. Just Say this small thing, and then as soon as you do it, he's all over it, man. He will, he will never let, let it go. He craves worship. He craves allegiance. He craves service. And the reason why he craves it is because he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve your trust. He doesn't deserve your allegiance. And let me say one more thing about him, okay? And I, I don't like talking about the devil, but it's... I don't mind talking about the devil because we need to sometimes. He is cruel. 
He will see you at your worst. He will see you at your most broken. And he will take advantage of that all day long. I used to have a, an outreach to the nursing home um, next door. And every Wednesday we would go and have a little service. And it was just a, I, I can't tell you how wonderful it was. And if you've ever heard me talk about it, you know it was a, it was a pivotal point in my life. I thought I was going to go and do something nice for the old folks. I didn't have any idea how deeply God would affect me and teach me through them. And what I found out shortly after I got, like when you first go and you start seeing, I mean, you just see gray hair and glasses, you know, and like you're, you're speaking, and it's not totally different here, and people are like falling asleep, you know, and you're like, I don't think they understand. They, I don't think they even hear, you know, anything I'm saying. And then after I'm done, it's the very ones that couldn't hardly keep their eyes open that would come up to you and say, I just so enjoyed what you said when you said this. And you could tell that they were actually, you know, with you. After a short period of time, after maybe a, a, a month or a couple of months, I realized that every one of these people was not just another person, but they are fantastic people. They are, they are unbelievable people. And they have lived their lives, some of them have lived their lives serving the Lord. 70, 80, 90 years. You know what I realized? The devil's still after them today as like he always has been. And just because they're old and just because they're, you know, they've been faithful to God, they, he is not going to, he doesn't feel sorry for them. And he's not going to say, oh, I'll just leave them alone. He is working on them. Loneliness, despair, um, uh, you know, rejection. Um, he's working on them just like he's working on all of us. It just made me realize how cruel and heartless the devil is doesn't care about little kids, doesn't care about old folks, doesn't care if your heart is broken. All of that, all, of the, all that he sees there is just to take advantage of you. And that's all I'm going to say about him. So the devil left. Je Jesus said, um, be gone, Satan. And again, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. How do you get rid of the devil? You let Jesus take care of him, Okay. You draw close to the Lord, you don't have to worry about the devil. Jesus' word is, is the final authority in all things. And if you're moving closer to Jesus, you're moving away from him because he's not coming into the presence of the living God. That's the last place he ever wants to be. And you've always got access to the throne of grace. You bring yourself to the throne of grace and the devil has to flee. He cannot follow you deeper and deeper into the Lord. I'm not saying that he won't try to take advantage of it or pry you away from your relationship with the Lord or whisper that word if in your, in, in your ear over and over again if he can. But listen, don't pay any attention to him. Draw close to the Lord. He's your, he's your safety and your salvation. And then the, the last one was the devil left him. Jesus told him, be gone, and the devil left him. Another place that says he withdrew to wait for another opportunity. So he's still doing the same thing with Jesus that he does with us. Okay, he's always looking for an opportunity. But when Jesus said for him to leave, he left. And then it says, um, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, David and I were talking about this. Like, how would you minister to Jesus? Like, what would Jesus want, you know? I don't know. It probably had something to do with food because he is depleted physically and he is going to die and he does need something to eat, okay? So it probably was maybe manna. I don't know. What, what did the angels feed you when the angels come? I, all I can tell you is this is a lot better than 
a, a, a rock turned into a loaf of bread. Whatever this is. So Jesus trusted God and he used the word and he overcame temptation and then he got exactly what he needed from God. And there's no regrets. There's no regrets. You can trust that if you're being tempted to do something, God has comfort for you. God has a solution for you. Let, let it come from God and not from your own ingenuity and your own shortcuts and, and, uh, and compromises, okay? Let's go to the, we're going to go to the table this morning. And uh, can, I, can I have the uh, elders uh, that are going to, or deacons that are going to help minister this morning? We're going to take a minute and just um, prepare our hearts for this because um, even, I mean, we do this once a month, sometimes more often than that, um, but even at that, it can become very routine. It can almost be like, you know, we're coming and we... Oh, okay. Um, it can become routine. This, God doesn't intend for this to be routine. He, he intends for this to be a, a, an integral part of the transformation that he's doing in your life. He's working in your life, and he's drawing you to himself. And so we come to this table sincerely this morning, okay? Let's just pause for a minute and just do business with God. Let him speak to you. David said, search me and try me and know my heart and every anxious thought. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit this morning because he wants to do that. I believe that one of the things that he wants to say is he wants to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. He wants to, he wants to assure you that you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away and new things have come. And if he's pointing out something in your life that's a, a sin or a failure or a shortcoming, He's doing it because he wants you to grow. And he wants you to, to improve, not to punish you and not to humiliate you, but to set you free and to open you up to more life. Confessing your sin just means saying the same thing about it that God does. Not calling it by a nice name, not justifying Lord, we have sinned. We come humbly before you this morning seeking forgiveness and restoration. We know, Lord, that it's freely given, and we know that you've already paid the price for it. Apply it to us today, Lord. Apply it to our hearts, that, that salve that you would pour in the healing ointment, Lord, of forgiveness and restoring a right relationship with you and a right spirit within us. Thank you, Lord. And then the other thing is that he wants us to forgive. So if you have an offense, if there's someone that has hurt you, saying I forgive you doesn't mean that what they did was right, and it doesn't mean that it didn't hurt, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. It says all it means is I no longer hold this against you. I set you free. I release you from whatever bondage I might have had you under in trying to hold unforgiveness against you. I no longer hold this against you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And it's all based on the night he was betrayed. He took the, the bread 
and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he gives it to us today. He says, take and eat this. This is my body broken for you. And he poured the cup. And he said, this is a cup of my blood. The new and everlasting covenant. He came to forgive sins and he poured out his blood for us. As we drink from this cup and as we eat this bread, we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes again in glory. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. We come from the sides, and then uh, you're free to go. Well, free to go get some cake. Hang around. Before we do that, we want to take a moment and honor Brother Joe. It's his birthday, and uh, we always just uh, want to honor him on this special day and thank God for him. So if we can uh, sing happy birthday to him. I know that'll bless his socks off, so let's just sing it really loud, too. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Brother Joe. Happy birthday to you. All right. Thank you, guys. Please stick around. We've got plenty of cake and punch in the fellowship hall, so uh, ruin your lunch appetite for a little bit and fellowship a while, okay?
see the 